Thank you, John. That testimony could not be more perfect to where we're going today. Because we're talking today about the army of God. Before we read the text today, this may go without saying, but just so we're absolutely clear. The Bible is written in progressive revelation. In other words, they, we knew more and more as we went on, and the full revelation came with Jesus. In, in the Old Testament, they, did, they thought the enemy was people. They didn't have the whole revelation about the spiritual war that we were in, and so the warfare they did and how they did it was very different than what we talk about today of being the army of God. Ephesians 6.12 says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness in heavenly places. We do not seek today the death of our enemies. We seek the conversion of our enemies. We, we don't fight our enemies today. Jesus said the sign of Christianity is that we love our enemies And we are aware that our enemies are not people around us, no matter how hostile they may seem. It's actually the darkness that is behind them. And so when we talk about the army of God, and and especially with the text that we're going to use today, I think it's really important to keep that in mind. So could we stand together in honor of God's word? If you have a Bible, turn to Judges chapter 6. And we are going to read verses 11 through 16. Here we go. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, and as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Let's pray. Father, you have a burning word on your heart today. It's all about not just what happened then, but what you're doing today and what you're wanting to do today. Lord, give us ears to hear what you're speaking. Please, God, we we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, the title is Becoming the Army of God. I have two points. The first one is why we need to enlist in God's army. Three reasons. First, to get off the spiritual roller coaster. 
Israel comes in to the promised land and and they conquer all of these cities and they are God's people in God's land and they have rest. But something happens in their rest. They quickly fall away. They quickly leave all that brought them there. And Judges is the story of 330 years, 111 of those years are spent in bondage to other nations, other people. And Judges tells us this, this is the pattern. This is how the book starts. The pattern is this. God's people are just seeking their own happiness and their own comfort and their own life. And so they go into bondage. They go into all kinds of difficulties and problems. And God actually allows them to be oppressed. And then when they get miserable enough, they cry out to God in their impression, God, we want to serve you. We love you. Please deliver us. So God raises up a judge and that judge gets raised up and during the lifetime of that judge we're back on track we're serving God again we're loving God again and then that judge dies and then the people go right back into we're we're comfortable we're safe and we go back into idolatry and this pattern just goes like this and the people of God just go like this if life is miserable enough then they seek God if life isn't miserable they don't seek God And so we have the story of six judges that God raises up over these 330 years. And we have the story, it's a frustrating story of up and down and up and down. But it's also a story of God's willingness because of his burning love for people, which is the bigger story that all the little stories of the Bible tell this bigger story, this upper story, we say, of, of the, big, the big reason for the Bible. The big story that's behind all these stories is, is that God loves people. He's passionate about people. He died for people. And even when people are only coming back because they're in the foxhole, even though they're coming back just because their life is miserable, God always welcomes people back. But God wants more for us than this. The church is absolutely the family of God. We're a safe place. We're adopted, favored sons and daughters, accepted as we are, come as you are, is on the sign. And so that is part of our identity. It makes this a safe place for people to come because you don't have to be a certain way or measure up to a certain standard. You're family. You come and, and you can even belong before you believe. But a church that is only about the family of God is not going to accomplish much. God's got a mission in this world. God's got plans for this world. And he is asking for volunteers to enlist in his army that will live for something more than just my own safety and my own comfort. He, He is looking for soldiers that are, just like John said, all in. When we embrace God's purpose and God's mission for humanity, 
It takes us off that spiritual roller coaster and puts us on an adventure with God. Second reason why we need to enlist in God's army, and this is very similar to the first one, to counter the danger of boredom. Judges 2, 10 and 11. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. The the generation that knew God and saw his powerful works demonstrated and were part of this adventure had no problem serving God. But this next generation that didn't see those things, they're second generation Christians, if you will. Somebody else had the experiences. Somebody else had the encounters. Somebody else told the stories. They, they just kind of, they were born into it. And, you know, this is what we do. And we, these are the rules we keep. And these are the beliefs we have. And they didn't encounter the Lord. And, folks, that is a recipe to, do, to go into evil and to go into idolatry. Why? Because we got to do something. We got to do something. Religion is boring. I'll be the first one to tell you that. To just go through the motions and memorize the beliefs, that, that's not engaging. We're, we're made for adventure. We're made for something more than that. And with, without, without that living Witness that living testimony where we're knowing God and we're experiencing his works, we're, we're going to end up in sin. We're going to end up in, in idolatry. This is the, one of the first principles in football. If you, ha, if you are on defense all the time, eventually somebody's going to score against you. The best defense is a good offense. If your team has the ball, your defense is resting. But if your defense is always out there, they're going to get tired. They're going to get worn out. And frankly, if our Christianity is just us on defense, we define our Christianity as we don't do this, we don't do that, and we don't do that, and we, we, we stay pure and holy. But there's no offense. There's no sense that I'm in an army and on a mission. You're going to get tired. You're going to get tired of that Christianity. And, and so I'm concerned. I'm concerned for us, but I'm more concerned about the next generation. They have to be invited into a Christianity that is alive, that has an adventure where we see the works of God. So let me tell you the difference between family prayers and army prayers. Here, here are family prayers. And these are absolutely legitimate prayers. Here is the center of family prayers. Give us this day our daily bread. God, protect us. We need your protection. God, provide for us. We we, we need your provision. God, comfort us. And when things are hard, we need your comfort. All of those things are true. But those, those are the family prayers. Here are the army prayers. Oh God, for your great name's sake, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. This is when Gideon says, God, 
Where are the miracles? We have heard what you did when you came out of Egypt. God, where are we know what you can do? We need you today. That's an army prayer. This morning, one year Bible, Psalm 68, 28, David is praying an army prayer. Here's what he, here's what he prays. Summon your power, God. Show us your strength, our God, as you have done before. Here's an army prayer, Habakkuk 3.2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk's heart is filled for the glory of God. To make God's name famous. God, we, we, you're, you're famous because of things you did in the past. Do them in our day. Renew your works in our day. We need to experience you today in wrath. Remember mercy. God, we are not asking you to be someone else than a holy God. You're a holy God and you've got justice. But that's not just who you are. You're a merciful God. You are a merciful God that acts on people's behalf today. I'm going to tell you two back-to-back stories that define me. Two things that have happened in my life that that really define me. Some of you have heard these stories before, but I don't know why, but I'm telling them today. First one, happened in the mid-90s. We were on our way. Uh, we were invited to, to be the next pastor at Community Bible Church in Montevideo, Minnesota. And I said, before I confirm yes, we, we, were, we were a yes, but I said, but before I, we come, I've, I, we need to meet with the youth group. It, w- it was a condition on coming. We need to meet with the youth group first. What had happened in that church two years earlier was the youth pastor had an event and he showed a movie to try to teach something and it wasn't the it wasn't a perfect movie it was it was on the edge and people in the church got offended and a little committee secret committee got together and and purpose to get rid of this youth pastor and so they got rid of that youth pastor and after the youth pastor was gone that same committee got another group together secretly and they got rid of the head pastor and 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 then they brought in this interim and but the the whole church was entirely shut down there was no ministries going except for sunday morning youth group not meeting no children's no nothing it had become a very unsafe place for anybody to minister and my my heart broke for young people for the young people that were in that youth group because they had seen how ugly people can be. And guys, it's uglier when it's in the name of God. Whatever you do, when you're saying God told you to, oh, oh it's so ugly. They had seen pettiness, meanness, 
division. They had seen everything man is capable of. And it's very hard to keep faith when things are, are just that bad. And so I, I just... I said, I want, I want to meet with the youth group. I will buy the pizza. I will come down. They had a youth center. They had this, it was a, um, it was a trailer. And uh, we were, we were, they, they agreed to this. And so all the youth, seventh to 12, whoever, seventh grade to 12th grade, whoever wanted to come came. And so Alice and I get, we're, we're on our way down there. And I'm crying out to God. We are crying out to God. And I remember my prayer so distinctly. God, they have seen man. Would you do something tonight that would surprise them? Would you do something in our midst tonight that only God could do? That was the prayer. That was the cry. So we get down there and we're, we start with the pizza and I'm just going to, I'm not going to force anything. I'm just going to see where they are. There's 25 kids there and we're chatting in a circle and, and it turns out these kids are, are, are very open to God. Some of them weren't even in that youth group and that, that had done that and they were very open. And wanted, so I decided to go ahead and give the message I had and it was on David and Goliath and about the reason why David was different is because he was anointed. And I ended the message with, so if you want to be a David and you want God to pour his oil over you, I want you to come to the front right now. And so 12 kids come up. And without me telling them to do it, they, they're kneeling at the front of this trailer, and there's 12 of them. They're all kneeled, and they're all seeking God with such sincerity. Now, I have no idea who these kids are. And what I certainly didn't know is that the first kid I was about to pray for didn't go to that church. It's the first time he had been in any church like this. He wasn't even a Christian. He just responded to this message. I don't know that he's the, he's the first kid there. So I go, I go to pray. I go to pray for this kid. And I, I haven't even started praying. I'm just, I'm just put a hand on him. And the kid passes out. I've seen, I've seen people overcome by the spirit where they, you know, gradually the Holy Spirit's moving. But this kid just, I'm just about to talk. And he passes out on the floor. I, I don't know what's going on. I just move on to the next kid. <laughs> and as I'm praying for that next kid, I'm saying, Lord, what happened to that kid? I'm looking over. I'm praying for this kid, and I'm looking at that kid. And I get to the next kid, and now there's, there's, there's other kids around that kid because he hasn't moved. And while I'm praying for the third kid, a kid comes over to me and says, what happened to that kid? And here's what the man of God says. I said, verbally, I said this. Don't worry about it. God's doing something. In my mind, I said this. Dear God, please be doing something. (laughs) By the time I get to the 12th kid, everybody in the whole youth group is around that kid that hasn't moved. I'm praying for the 12th kid. The the rest of the group is around that kid. And I am seeing in my mind 
headlines of the Montevideo newspaper. New pastor comes, kills child. Doesn't call 911. Get done with the 12th kid. Nothing unusual happens with the other 11. It's just this one. So uh, it's, it's, it's this kid has not moved. He has not budged. And so I part the sea and I get down on my knees with this guy. And I say, hey, buddy. <laughs> What's happening? And I thank God for what he said, because he said this. He said, God's speaking to me. That's, this is good. <laughs> What's he saying? <laughs> He's telling me that he loves me. Buddy, have you ever given your heart to Jesus? Have you ever asked him to forgive your sins and, and receive his gift of eternal life? No. Do you want to do it right now? Yeah. The whole youth group prayed with him. I led him in the sinner's prayer and the whole youth group repeated it. It led to, when we came down, I was the youth pastor, I was both head pastor and youth pastor, it led to a revival when we came down there. Kids that were absolutely passionate for God's presence. The third reason why we need to enlist in God's army is because Jesus is a warrior. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus is a warrior and he has passion to break darkness and oppression. And that brings us to the second story. May 1st, 1996, I'm in East London, South Africa on the Mercy ship. I'm not on the ship yet. I'm, I'm in a home in South Africa. I'm going to be going, somebody's going to come that afternoon to pick me up to be on the ship. And they have told me that I'm, I'm teaching a discipleship training school to about 50 students from all over the world. But then on that Thursday night, I'm speaking to the whole ship, which is about 300 workers that have come from all over the world to serve. And the Mercy Ship does amazing things, um, hospital-type things. And, and I already have the message prepared for Thursday night. It's called Understanding the Anointing. I'm going to teach on the anointing. But it's May 1st, and the reason why I know that is because I do the one-year Bible, and I will never forget how God spoke this to me. I am just reading my one-year Bible, and I am in Judges. It is the story of Samson, and he wants to go down to, to Timnah and marry this Timnite woman, and his parents are like, can't you find a nice Israelite girl? Why do you have to do this? And then verse 4. Here it is, Judges 14.4. They did not know. His parents did not know. This was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. 
and the Holy Spirit came on me. And I, I saw this whole thing completely different. Here's what's going on. The Israelites are not looking for a fight. They've, they've, they, they are under oppression. They're under rulers. They have made peace with the fact that we are ruled by someone else. They're not looking for a fight. Samson is not looking for a fight. He's looking for a wife. God is looking for a fight. God has set circumstances up because he wants to go face to face with that which is oppressing his people. And he, he, the fear of God came on me. I've never, I, this is the first time I'd ever seen this, this fire in Jesus. Thursday night, when I speak to the ship, this isn't going to be a teaching. This is going to be a demonstration. I have set up this occasion, this opportunity, so that I can confront that which is oppressing my people. I am coming in my anointing. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, to preach good news to the poor, to set captives free, to open blind eyes, to proclaim freedom to those who are in bondage. I am coming in my anointing. I I am coming. I have set this up. This seems like a regular meeting, but I have set it up. And this is what I want to do. I was terrified. I told people all night long, or all week long, I'm just taking them aside at lunch and saying, hey, would you pray for Thursday night? I don't know what's going to happen Thursday night, but it, Jesus is really intense about what's going to happen Thursday night. And just, I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew this. <laughs> There's fire in his eyes. He's a warrior. I get done speaking, brief message on the anointing. And I said, if there is something oppressing you that you have made peace with, there's a sin that oppresses you and you've just, uh, you've just accepted, I can't ever get free from this. This is just who I am. And you've just made peace with it. Or there's a sickness that you have that you've just made peace with. Or there's some type of discouragement or depression and you've just made peace with it and this is who I am and this is the rest of my life. I want you to stand to your feet. We had 300 people. These are all burning Christians. And I would say 50 people stand to their feet. And I I just prayed a very short prayer. Jesus, would you come now in the power of your Holy Spirit and set people free? People started screaming. One lady just started shaking. God started moving all over that building. I brought the the ministry teams up and I said, "I, I want you to, if you're standing for freedom, I want you to come up and I want you to get prayer. And we were there long past midnight as God healed people, as God broke darkness over people's lives. See, guys, it's not okay for Jesus that people are oppressed by darkness. It's not okay that people are blind. It's not okay that... America, just because America has settled the, and, and even the American church has just kind of settled and, in powerlessness and, and oppression and this is just who we are. And, you know, we're sinners saved by grace. Praise God. We're, we're horrible, but we're, we're saved. 
Jesus isn't okay with that. He's got a burning passion to set people free. This is why we have to be the army of God. We've got to catch this vision of his heart. Jesus is no less anointed today than he was when he was on this earth. It's just that now his anointing comes through his body, which is you and I. Point two, last point. How to succeed in God's army. First, face the fear of inadequacy. God comes to Gideon and he calls him a valiant warrior. And Gideon corrects him by saying, no, no, I am the least in my family of the least tribe. Manasseh is the smallest tribe. I'm the least of the least. You, you need to find somebody else. I am not. I'm absolutely not. I want there to be miracles. I want there to be deliverance, but I don't want to be that guy. And the Lord speaks to him. He speaks past our inadequacies into our identity. And he says, Gideon, this is who you are. You're not a wimp that is afraid, that is treading wheat in a wine press because you're afraid. Fear, if you read the whole story, fear dominated Gideon. And God said, let me tell you who the real you is. You're a valiant warrior. This is who you are in me. And God speaks past what's going on in his feelings to who he really is. This is really what happens with Peter. He says, Simon Barjona, I call you Peter, for upon this rock I will build my church. Peter, of course, was just like this. And Jesus said, no, that's not, that's who, that may be who you are, but that's not who I made you to be. This is who you are becoming. Do you know he changed Matthew's name too? Matthew was the tax collector. His, his original name was Levi. And, he, and God changed his name. Jesus changed his name. We don't have that story. But Matthew means gift of God. And I don't think you could totally understand it until you recognize that, that Levi was a tax collector, which all Israel treated as plagues. Tax collectors were plagues, people you did not want to be around. And, and Matthew said, you're not, Jesus said to Matthew, you're not a plague. You're the gift of God. You're the beloved of God. We need to be very careful what, identify, what we allow identify us. So the army gets reduced. It started out to be an army of 32,000. And the Midianites had an army of 135,000. 32,000, 135,000. And God said to Gideon, your army is too big for me to deliver them. And so he said, take everybody that, that is allowing fear to make their decisions to, to go home. It's not everybody that has fear. All 32,000 are experiencing fear at some point when you're looking at an army that's 
13 times bigger than you are. You're going to have, not 13 times, what is that? A lot bigger. But those who are being dominated by fear have them go home. 22,000 leave. And, and, and then he has them drink water. And, and whoever drinks from his hands and doesn't kneel down, those are the ones. And so now they're down to 300. And it's 300 now. 300 against 135,000. And fear comes in again. And God comes down to Gideon. Fear of inadequacy. Who wouldn't feel inadequate? 300 against 135,000? And he's leading this thing? This is going to be brutal. And the Lord says to him, in Judges 7, he says, if you're still afraid, (laughs) Gideon's like, I'm still afraid. If you're still afraid, then I want you to go down to the Midianite camp. Take a friend, go down to the Midianite camp and hear what they're saying. So he gets this friend and he goes down to the camp. And just as they get there, the Midianites are having a little circle. They're having coffee around the fire. And the Midian, one of the Midianites says, the other man, I had a dream last night. Let me tell you about it. He says, in this dream, I saw a loaf of barley bread come tumbling into our camp. And it knocked over all the tents. Truly, this is Gideon and his army. For God has given them into their hand, given, given us into their hands. And Gideon goes back on the strength of that dream and rallies the 300. Have you ever wondered what, what, what was it about this dream that was so encouraging to him. Here's what I think it was. Gideon was very aware of his humanity and of his weakness and that he wasn't amazing. And when God pictured him as a loaf of barley bread, that is like the most common thing in Israel. And not strategically or perfectly coming into the Midianite camp because of divine strategy, but comes tumbling into the camp. Just awkwardly blowing into the camp. And if that's good enough, then I'm in. It is really, really important that we grasp what the gospel does. To be in the army of God does not mean you've got to be an amazing Christian. You just need to be a loaf of barley bread. You don't have to perfectly do everything. You just, if you're willing to go ahead and look a little stupid, tumbling into camp then you're available. Then you're available for God to use you. Nathan was doing uh, an afternoon lunch for all of our worship team. And the scripture he used 
was 2 Corinthians 3, 5. And we might even have that up, up here. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. And, oh boy. For the second service, we need the NASB. I'm sorry about this. Um, I'm going to give it to you out of the NAS. God has made us adequate ministers of the new covenant. That's the word the NAS uses, is adequate. It's from the Greek word, and this is what, what Nathan brought out at the thing. It's the Greek word, he can us. That's, that's how you pronounce it. He can us. Adequate, adequate ministers. The whole idea is not awesome ministers. Adequate means good enough. He, he further gives this in the next chapter where he says that God has placed this treasure, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, in these earthen vessels so that the power, so that the glory would not be of us, but would be of him. That you and I are adequate ministers. He can, he can use us. Facing the fear of not being Good enough. And then secondly, lastly, beware of pride. Oh, no, I have a second one on fear of inadequacy. One is I, I'm, I'm inadequate as a person. The second one is I can't do much because I'm a woman. The, in, in our the story, which is just a shortened version of the Bible, it just highlights certain stories. It doesn't give every story if you're, if you're reading along. Three stories in Judges are told. The story of Deborah and Barak, the story of Gideon, and the story of Samson. And the story of, of Deborah is a very interesting one because sometimes our inadequacy is that we feel like there's something about us that isn't good enough or isn't God's best to be used. And one of those lies that the enemy has, has gotten away with is to say that women can't be used the way men can be used. And... There are scriptures that are used, and uh, those are important scriptures. I, I deal with them all in other places. Uh, women in leadership, I tell the whole, I go, we go through every single verse. But God gives us Deborah and Jael in the story. God gives us, next, uh, next week I think we talk about Ruth. God gives us Esther. God gives us, even in the Old Testament, foreshadows that this isn't just a man thing. This is about men and women. That God's army is not just men. It is women too. That God's heart is not to just use men, but to also use women. Acts 2.17 
He, God's expressed desire in the new covenant is laid out. In the last days, says God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on men and women, and they are going to prophesy. I'm going to pour out my spirit on sons and on your daughters, and they are going to prophesy. They are going to be used by me. My spirit's going to rest on men and women. It's, this has always been God's expressed desire. And to say, to say I'm a woman, so I'm, I'm very limited in how I can be used, is a lie. There's something about women that actually makes them more usable sometimes than men. We see it in the story of Deborah. God gives the word of the Lord to Deborah, who he's raised up as a judge, that God's going to deliver Sisera's army into Israel's hand. And Barak, she's giving this word to the general, go out and do this. And Barak says, I'm not doing it unless you come with me. And she says this to him, I'm happy to come with you, but you won't get the credit. A woman will get the credit. If you're okay with a woman getting the credit for the victory, I, what is she saying? Men are very sensitive to who gets the credit. <laughs> men, men have this little ego thing going and they want to be the man. And she's like, if you're okay, because women... They just, they're less led by having to have their ego stroked. And Barack, to his credit, says, no, come with me. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. Here's what matters, is that the kingdom of God advances and that God is glorified. So there is a movie out called Zero Dark Thirty. It's the story of Osama bin Laden. And it tells the story of Maya. Maya is a woman in the U.S. military, and it turns out, after the movie, she is a composite of more than one woman. But it was how women were used in, in, to, to get Osama bin Laden, that, that if it had just been up to men, it never would have happened. And here's why. Men in the army, this is the U.S. Army, were so concerned about being promoted They wanted to get Osama bin Laden, but they were more concerned about their own promotion. So they needed to do things that were actually, that were, were, you were able to do. It was going to take too much work and too much time. And it was too risky to spend all this time trying to get Osama bin Laden. And so men would, they would do a little stuff, but they wanted to do stuff that there would be a quick return on so that they could get promoted. But Maya is this woman she does the first on her, she has nothing on her list about promotion it's just to get osama bin laden and she perseveres and she perseveres for years when others would have given up and she ends up meeting with the team that actually goes in and it's all on her because they're not absolutely sure that's osama bin laden and um it is a tremendous story of god using Women in, well, this is a story of God using women in his army. And that was a story about America and the, the role that women played. Once again, difference between the army then, the American army and God's army. Two different things. Very important that we remember that. And then secondly, beware of pride. Judges 7 2. 
How do we succeed in, in God's army? Face the fear of inadequacy and secondly, beware of pride. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands for Israel will become boastful saying, my own power has delivered me. You wouldn't think that people would take credit if it's 32,000 against 135,000. You wouldn't think that people would take credit. You would think that clearly God was with us and this, the glory belongs to God. And God said, that's not the case. People are more able to take credit than you think they are. So send everybody away that's afraid. So everybody that's afraid goes away. There's only 10,000 left. Now, it's, now it is one against 13.5. That's the ratio. And Gideon's like, okay, we got 10,000. Let's do this thing. God says, you've underestimated the pride of people. They'll still take the credit. There's still too many. They will still credit themselves instead of me. They have to get down to 300 before God is saying, okay, now they will think a miracle happened. (laughs) Now I will get the glory. Pride is this insidious thing that ruins everything. Whatever beautiful thing God was doing in a church or in a life or in a person or in a movement You add the spice called pride and that which had been beautiful becomes a very ugly, man-centered thing. Pride. Samson was God's man. Samson from birth was anointed by God. He was a Nazarite. He was separated to God. He didn't cut his hair. He didn't drink wine. And the spirit of the Lord was on him from a very, very young age. And Samson just got used to that. Spirit of God is on me. God's using me. This is who I am. He got very, very careless and became presumptuous and felt like he could do anything because God was with him. He fell into an addiction with uh, Delilah, a sexual, we know it's an addiction because she was clearly trying to kill him. And he knew she was trying to kill him, but he stayed in there. He stayed in there. She kept putting him to sleep. And finally, he gave away the secret of his consecration, which was his hair. And she cuts the hair. And the Bible says, and we might even have this verse, then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Did you know that you never see a leader fall away? By the time it's in the news that this leader is with sleeping with prostitutes or is stealing from the money or is oppressing little boys or abusing or doing, by the time it gets to the news, all you're seeing is them hitting bottom. That's all, that's all you're seeing. Here's when they fell away. When they started thinking that they were special and entitled and that they didn't have to do the little things anymore. 
And they didn't have to be honest in the little things. And they didn't have to be careful about the little things. And they didn't have to walk in humility. They didn't have to have a quiet time every day. They didn't have to have their own relationship with God because they talk about God all the time. When you stop doing the little things is when you start falling away. When it's public and your sin is exposed to everybody, that's not when you fell. That's when you hit bottom and it was revealed to the world. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. It is... It is the beloved, it is, or it's the lover, God, speaking to the beloved, saying, catch the little foxes. Catch the little things that are spoiling the vineyard. Catch these little things. Go after them. Go after pride when it's small. Go after apathy. Go after addiction when it is small. Let us catch the little foxes. And here is the cool thing. There are many stories about Samson that are amazing. He takes the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand people with one jawbone. He, he, they wrap him up in ropes and he breaks the ropes as if they're made of straw. He, he takes the city gate and he lifts it up and throws it with his bare hands. Amazing stories. And every time it will say the spirit of God, he rips a lion in two. The spirit of God came on him and he rips this lion in two. But you want to know what the most astonishing miracle I've always thought about Samson? It's a, it's a, it's a much more little known story. It says he was mad at the Timnites. And to get back at them, it says this. He caught with his bare hand 300 foxes, tied their tails together and put a torch in them and burned the Timnites' fields. It's hard to even see a fox. They're so quick and so sly. Could you imagine catching a fox with your bare hand and then add 300? The spirit of the Lord came on Samson and with God's help, he caught the little foxes. He did it, but it was by the spirit. Did you know that Jesus is here to help us with our little foxes? Did you know that the spirit of God is not just about big things? God, do this big thing. God, do this big thing. How about this? Because it'll be amazing to all of us. God, do this small thing. (laughs) Do this small thing that I have not been able to overcome. This hidden thing that no one else even sees. God, help me to have a quiet time. God, help me overcome the fear of the dark. God, help me overcome this addiction. Did you know that Jesus anoints us to catch the little foxes? Because they're the ones that are eventually going to ruin the vineyard. So I'm going to end with a story of the of a, a brief story from the final quest. Final quest is a revelation God gave to Rick Joyner over a, a, a year's time. A very prophetic man wrote this book called the called the Final Quest, and it tells about the end times revival. And it starts out, and it's a series of videos. He doesn't get it all at once. He gets it over a year's time. But it starts out, and 
it's, it's the raging, it's the battle that's raging and the demon's army is over here and the people of God are over here and Rick Joyner is horrified because there's a lot of Christians that are actually, they don't realize it, but they're in the wrong army. They're, they're in the wrong army and the enemy is puking condemnation on them and they think it's God and he, he's shooting arrows at them of truth and, and, but they can't accept the truth. They, the truth just makes them more angry and, and it's, it's just horrible. And then if that's not bad enough, the actual army of God is, they, they're there, but their armor's on the ground and they're, they're just playing games and looking at each other and it's like there's not even a war going on and he's, he's horrified at the state of the church and at the state of this battle and there's a man that comes up to him named Wisdom and Wisdom says, if you want to win this battle, you need to climb that mountain and he looks behind him and there's a mountain and he goes to this mountain and every level of this mountain has a biblical truth on it. The the bottom level is salvation and then there's water baptism and then there's unity of the brethren and there's, and and so Rick Joyner starts climbing this mountain of truth and there are people on every level fighting and some are climbing with him and some are staying where they are and fighting for those truths but he keeps climbing and as soon as he gets to this one level it just is called Galatians 2.20 which of course is, I'm crucified with Christ. We're, We're, we're I'm making my identity in God instead of in me. And the enemy's arrows can't reach that level. You could slide off any level because there's, there's slime on them, the, the demonic things. So you have to, you have to, to stay on the, each level. You've got to use the sword, which is the word of God, and, and, and make sure you're, you're tied to the word of God all the time. But he knows if we're going to win, we need to keep climbing. So he's urging people, climb, climb, climb. They get to the top level, the top highest truth, and it's a garden. And the truth is experiencing the Father's unconditional love. And as wave after wave after wave of the Father's unconditional love comes over him and those that have climbed with him, their armor starts to shine brilliantly. They're excited. It's time it's time to kill some work. It's time to go down and get that demonic host. And so they're coming down and they're just brilliant, shining. And all the people that, that are on the levels, they see that shining armor and they start climbing because that's clearly what we need to do. And they get down to the bottom and there's the enemy horde and, and here's the shining armor and they're just about to go and the, guy, the commander of the army is about to yell, go. And wisdom turns to Rick Joyner and says, don't go. Put that mantle on. And there's a mantle on the ground called humility. And he puts this mantle on over his armor and all of the brilliance goes away and it's just really, really drab, kind of ugly, really normal. But once he has it on, he looks over and there is an, an enemy army that has been hiding. And there's a name on it, Pride. And they are waiting for the saints of God to go forward so that they can come up behind them and destroy them. And Rick Joyner starts screaming because the command has been given that the saints of God that have just experienced the glory of God's unconditional love, the saints of God are going out attacking and they don't realize what's going on. And this army called pride is coming up behind them. And so Rick Joyner starts yelling and screaming, stop, stop. It's a trick. It's wisdom says this. You're wasting your time. 
they can't hear you. He said the only people that could hear you would be people that have this mantle on. And what he saw next was this army so filled with the experience they've had in God getting touched by pride, arrows of pride going, and one demon would take whole groups of people into doctrines of demons, and you couldn't tell them anything anymore because they had experienced God and they knew what was right, and so they, they were quickly, quickly divided. And all along, thinking they were still the greatest and God, they were the group God was going to use, and wisdom says this to Rick Joyner. You have taught that to retreat in fear is to expose you to the enemy because there's no armor on the backside. And he said to him, and that's right. He said, what you haven't taught is to advance in pride makes you equally vulnerable to the enemy. In a few weeks, I'm speaking on revival to our uh, Christian college. It's, the, it's on the first great awakening. And as a, as a student of revival in history, reading this, what wisdom spoke to her, it just pierced my heart because this is the story of revival throughout history. God starts moving. God starts doing miracles. God starts awakening. And pretty soon, that group becomes filled with themselves. We're it. We're, we're awesome. And then God, the Holy Spirit has to back off. Guys, God is, God is doing something at City Church. He's doing something in Madison. Could we all please put this mantle called humility on us? I, I'm glad you like this church. Please don't call this like the best church in the Madison. Or if you like me, Pastor Tom is the greatest pastor. Please don't do that. You're making us very vulnerable. No, Jesus is a great savior. There's many, many churches and God's using many, many churches in different ways. And you may not understand how God's using them or what God's doing in them, but please refrain from judgment. And folks, as God starts moving more and more in this place and God's already moving, these testimonies that are coming week after week are amazing of how God's moving in our midst. It's gonna increase. There's gonna be more surprises in this place as God's works are manifest among us. Can we just keep our eyes on Jesus? Keep this mantle on? Because what God's really looking for is not a visitation. He's looking for a habitation. He doesn't want to come and visit for a little while and then have to leave because we're so filled with ourselves. He wants to come and he wants it. What he's doing now, guys, is the very beginning of what he wants to do. We, we haven't seen anything yet. Could we stand to our feet? First call, you're here, and just like that meeting in East London, there's something oppressing you. There's something that you've made peace with that is oppressing you, that is keeping you from freedom. Would you just open your arms right now? before the Lord. Jesus, you're a mighty, mighty warrior. Your eyes burn with fire. Holy Spirit, come and set captives free. Break addiction. 
break fear. Break the power of sickness and disease and affliction. Fight over your people, Jesus. If you want to enlist afresh in the army of God, if you want to, if you're willing to be the loaf of bread that tumbles into the enemy's camp. You're willing to just be who you are. Don't have to be perfect. Don't have to be awesome. But you're just willing to be used in God's army. Would you just open your arms like this? Father, in Jesus' name, raise up your army in this place, God. Lord, I break the fear of inadequacy. I break the fear of being the least of the least of the least. I break the fear of being a woman, so what can I do? Lord, I break this need to get the credit. Lord, we don't care who gets the credit. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Save your church. Save America, God. Raise up an army. And Lord, I thank you that it doesn't matter that the church is, quote, outnumbered. In fact, it might be better (laughs) that we're just this small little thing and all of these huge things that Madison is with education and hospitals and politics and and we're just, just the church. Jesus, do something great in this city. And Father, together we ask for the next generation, for our kids. Jesus, do not let them grow up not knowing you nor seeing your works and thinking uh, religion is just boring. And so here's what I want to spend my time doing, playing video games. Here's what I want to spend my time, you know, experimenting with drugs because that's exciting. I want to spend my time with sex and trying to get women and... Or man, and and flirt that way because that's exciting. Lord, break it in Jesus' name over this next generation. Lord, invite people, young people, into the adventure of being part of the army of God. Lord, I don't know that I've done a very good job today presenting this, but could could you just because you are who you are, could your fire the fire you have for us to be the army, could that just come and burn in our hearts? Help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name.